0: Oh, and we were talking about strong consolation, so I figured I would continue. Okay, so amen. Praise God. Yeah, I feel kind of bad because I seldom get to really finish what I set out to... Well, you know, preachers, we can talk forever, what can I tell you? But, uh, you know, if there's a topic you want to get discussed, it's kind of hard to do it in one sitting. And y'all ain't going to let me just sit up here and talk for four hours, So, and I know this, so we... We extend these things, so this will be an extension of that. And so, but some of these concepts are really, I think they're central to your relationship with God, and I think they are an answer to why, uh, Christianity, as we stated, is very different from any other quote-unquote religion. Even though we know it's not, <clears throat> I guess I would say it's not only a religion. Uh, the word religion really comes from uh, uh, the root word, uh, speaks of that which I would give my life for. So, and in, in, so Christianity as a religion, it is true we do give our lives—not in a literal sense or physical sense—but we give them in a spiritual sense as an offering to God. And so as as Christians, we are constantly aware that our life is not our own, that we are under mandate from God, even though we have a joyful life and you have a good life. Well, the fact that you can enjoy that is the fact that God has changed you into a new creature. See, where your carnal friends make fun of you and they think you can't do this and can't do that... Uh, as a, because it's some kind of, uh, a restriction where you're, you're lacking something. We see the restrictions as an asset. Thank God I don't have to sin anymore. Cause I don't have to go to hell. Thank God I'm, I'm not prone to, uh, poverty and sickness and all the other things that, that beset my life as a sinner because, and so we are thankful. ...for the restrictions on our lives, aren't we? We see them as a, a good trade-off. I mean, I gladly trade my sin and misbehavior and iniquity and, and the bad road that the devil had me on. I gladly trade that for the loving restriction of God. You know, he keeps us in a place where we're kind of um, encased in his love. And so really our restrictions are more of a protection against the works of darkness then they are something that strip us of some kind of fun that we're supposed to be having uh, in the life of sin. We know that the life of sin has a pleasure season. It's only pleasurable for a season and after a season there's the payoff. You start reaping the fruits of a sinful life. And so as Christians, we gladly follow Christ because we know that's a good life. It's a life where you there's dignity. You can hold your head up. You don't have to uh, worry about being mistreated or treated badly because you know bad people have come into your life because that's all that ever comes into your life Uh, we can expect good things so the discipline that we're under as christians is a discipline that leads us to higher and better reward there's a big payoff for it and so we we gladly uh, undertake for god in this life so we were speaking from hebrews chapter six the last time so i'm going to read that again uh, because it's it's central to what we we know and believe as Christians, Christianity is so different because there's something uh, built in to our covenant with God that allows us to have a different life with Him. So Hebrews six, starting in chapter thirteen, says, "For when Abraham made covenant, for when God made promise to Abraham." Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So God swore to himself, by himself, not to a man. Now, there were man-to-man covenants in force. That was a very common um, occurrence during that time. Uh, we said that that was the beginning of different nations and tribes of people because people found that they needed uh, help and assistance through life. And so the way you did that was through what they called a covenant of strong friendship. So when you found yourself kind of overwhelmed with, with the burdens of life or the cares of life or you find yourself with enemies around you, you sought somebody that would help strengthen you and help what we call now allies. You know, our governments now have alliances with other governments that we are friendly to them uh, if they are in hostile situations. We have treaties and all that kind of stuff. Well, our, our alliances and treaties with other nations grew out of this concept of the blood covenant. And so the blood covenant was something that you entered into with another person to gain strength, to gain power. Uh, oftentimes these covenants were were um, uh, affected through marriage. So that was another avenue that uh, um, forced people could gain strength and gain forces. If you look at some of the royal families of Europe that are alive now, they are descended from royal families uh, like, for instance, um, the uh, Windsor, the House of Windsor that's in, in authority in England right now, um, they are partial descendants of some of the old Austro-Hungarian families and German families of Europe where they came and were intermarried for the purpose of strength. So that by marriage they were already connected to one another and had to fight for one another and had to help one another. So marriage alliances are very, very common to gain strength. You also notice that rich people marry other rich people. If there's somebody broke coming into the family, all the rest of the family's upset about it. Because that's not doing our family any good. We want to get with people who can help our situation and not hinder it. You don't find a person, even in modern times, you see that. People, if you see some of these um, entertainers now, the new what they call the nouveau riche, the people who have come into their wealth in their own generation. They don't just hang around with just anybody. Huh? That's why many of these, these uh, rappers and people like that that are, newly wealthy, millionaire, billionaire types, they don't marry these women that have children for them. They just take care of the kids. I mean, they have a way of getting around it so that their wealth is not placed, they're not weakened by weak people. Now that's a horrible thing to say about somebody, but that's the truth of it. If that sister can't help your situation out, can't elevate you, she don't stay in your life for very long. And that's why they have a high rate of divorce. They have prenuptial agreements. All of these things reflect back to the covenant of strong friendship and making it a decision who you want to keep covenant with. So everybody's looking to improve their situation except God. He's the only one who will make covenant with weak humanity and strengthen us by his strength. Amen. So the Bible says because he could swear by no greater, God looked around to find somebody more powerful, with more wisdom, more understanding. More He could find nobody, so he swore by himself to himself. That he would undertake for weak humanity in every situation. And so he made this covenant to Abraham. And because he could swear by no higher, he swore by himself. We'll go back to the Abrahamic covenant in a minute. But in verse 14, saying, this is what he told Abraham. Surely, without fail, that word surely means without fail, We said that's always a covenant term when you see surely or verily. That lets you know that there's an oath on that statement. I stake my life on this, is what that's saying. Blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men truly swear by the greater... In other words, in covenant, they swear by the greater. And an oath of confirmation to them is the end of all strife. So what that means is that if you have any doubts as to somebody keeping their word, they have to swear by something that they'll keep it. When you buy a house, you swear by your house that you're going to pay that note every month. Because if you don't, they come and take the house and put you out on the street. When you buy a vehicle, you swear by that vehicle. Whatever is the collateral that's being held in exchange for you keeping your word, that's the end of all strife. So when they, when those people say, give you those papers to sign for your car, that's already, that oath is already in there. You're already sworn against that vehicle that you're going to make those payments. So at the end of those payments... That vehicle is yours, but it is not yours until those payments are made. So the oath is the guarantee that you will make the payments. That's what they want to have secured. Same thing with the mortgage. That's why when they, the mortgages fell through and the, the economy tanked because of that, it was because there was no collateral sworn against bad mortgages. Did you know that? When the houses began to lose value... That was the equity go down. There's nothing sworn against that payment being made. And when people defaulted and didn't make payments, then their houses didn't even cover what what was owed against them. And so now everything's up in smoke. Even people in the stock market started to buy into that, which a lot of people are amazed, but there was so much greed in that situation everybody tried to make a million dollars off of nothing so there was nothing sworn there was no collateral against all of this hype that was going into the the mortgage business that's why a lot of these people almost in jail they're bankrupt in jail and then the people that bought their companies are in trouble now why because there was nothing supporting all that that they were doing nothing so it was all what they called a bubble that's why it was full of hot air so that's why you have to be careful that there is some collateral against whatever it is that you're lending or that you're borrowing or whatever. So people are right to ask for that. So that's why it says an oath of confirmation is the end of all strife. See, that, that collateral is the con- confirmation that you're going to pay. That's, that's what's sworn against your payments. And so when that collateral is looked at and they see there's enough there, so if you default, they're not harmed in any way, then you go ahead and sign the papers. And that's what God did with the new covenant. That oath of confirming that he will, will forfeit his own existence if he would not keep one promise that he has made to us ends all strife in this covenant. That's why people can be Christians and they can backslide and come back, backslide because they can't find anything else out there better. He swore he could swear by no higher. When when your, your agreement with God and your relationship with God is sworn against his life, you've got nowhere to go to find another God that can outdo that. I dare you to find one. See, this is why Christians are so hated. Because we know we have the best thing. I'm not scared of Buddhists. I don't care about their arguments. I care nothing about that kind of nonsense. They can talk all they want to. And I can tell them confidently, when you find Jesus Christ, you have found the Most High God. And he will humble himself and come and live with you and help you. And love you and take care of you and do every, And he will even give you insurance that you won't fail on your part of, of upholding this covenant. See, that's strong consolation. That word consolation, we have to get away from thinking it as something that's second rate. See, there's a second rate connotation to that consolation prize. That mean, you didn't get the top prize. Honey, we have strong consolation. And so that word consolation, we defined it last time. I will do it again. And it means to call near. So the one who's consoling you is calling you near to him. That's God. He's calling you near. It's the same root as the word we saw, paracelsus, the Greek root of paraclete. That means the one called alongside to support. And to strengthen and to undergird. So strong consolation is a strengthening. It's not something that's handed to you because you can't have what you're after. The consoler comes to help you get what you're pursuing. Because he knows you can't do it in your own strength. It also means comfort and solace. There are times we do need comfort. You know, when you suffer loss and you feel it's irretrievable, you you need comfort. But you get a strong comforter, one who can help you look forward to a better future. You know, at the time of, say if you suffer the loss of a loved one, at the time you suffer that loss, he can give you a vision of yourself being full of joy and healthy again, where the sinner don't have that. You know, the sinner has to go find the Long Island medium to get a false message from some familiar spirit. You got me? But we have strong consolation. We can see us coming through that period of grief and having joy. And we see that loved one with God. I mean, how much better can it get for us? I was watching the... the the young man. There was a young man, one of the four people that were killed in in Libya in Benghazi, unfortunately. And you're, this government's going to have a lot to to answer for. I mean, seriously, because it looks very bad for them, very bad. But the dad of one of the the young men is finally has come out to speak because he's just he's just overwhelmed. He's grief stricken. He's angry, and he's all of these things. But but he sees himself now, even in his grief when he was speaking, he could reflect on his son's life and feel that loss. But at the same time, feel an overwhelming sense of pride in his son's life. And only God can do that, folks. Only God can do that. Because God sees you at the end and when it's beginning. He sees you in your condition right now, and he can give you a vision of the end of it, and you see yourself in it. And this gentleman is already seeing himself, reflecting on the good things that happened between him and his son when he was alive. And that's a blessing, folks, because many people who are grief-stricken never get there. But we can get there because of who we serve. You can tell God's helping this dad because he, he, he spoke directly to the president and said he forgave him. And he said, but I'm, I'm asking you to, to, to turn your path around, take a different path. He said, I'm requesting that of you. You got me? People don't say that unless they know the right way to go. You understand me? He's inviting, There's another prophetic person situation that we've been seeing you got me where God fills a person's mouth with words and gives them a platform so he's inviting the president of the United States to repent in other words only God gives you that message for anybody folks only God and so you know those things God can do because we have strong consolation in him we have an oath and a promise that you will not stay in this pain of grief forever And God allowed that father to step into that in the now. In the middle of all of his grief, God's got a place for him in the cleft of the rock where he can abide with him, where that grief is all absorbed and he feels it no more. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. For believers, it's wonderful. You know, we don't know all that we have in God. But I'm telling you you can tap into it because we have strong consolation in him. So it really it also means to be at hand and to be prompt. People that think it takes God a long time to do things. You have strong consolation, he's prompt. He's on time. The Bible says he's a very present help in trouble. So he's right there with us in our trouble. It also means to pull alongside, to cover and to hide. There are some things that are so unbearable sometimes you don't want to feel the total brunt of it. So your strong consolation in God, your, your consoler, the Holy Spirit is there to cover you and to hide you. The word strong also means forcible and boisterous. When you need the Holy Spirit to be strong on your behalf, he is. And sometimes he has to be strong with us, you know, and and show us that that we can trust him to keep us in certain situations. It means to be valiant, to prevail, to do much work. And it also means to be whole. When Jesus was known or the Messiah was, was referred to as the consolation of Israel, He was coming to make everybody whole. People who were looking for him. Do you remember different times with different people? Jesus would ask them, will you be made whole? That was, he was alluding to the fact that he was the Messiah. Because only the Messiah would come and make one whole again. You know, Uh, meaning that if you were a person that had lost your property throughout the years and you were a poverty, Messiah was coming to make us whole. Messiah is coming to give us strong consolation. Messiah is coming to liberate us from our enemies. Messiah is coming to do all of those things. So when Jesus would use terms like that, he was alluding to his true identity as the Messiah, to make them whole. That means intact, nothing missing, nothing broken, no loss, everything returned to you. Everything that the enemy stolen returned to you, whether it's physical things, spiritual things, emotional things, things in your soul, trauma that's happened to you throughout your life. He has the key to wholeness for all of us and soundness. What kind of life would this be if we had to go through broken and beaten up and bleeding like we were when he found us? So as the Holy Spirit, though, in in him we have strong consolation because we know he will make us whole. He has the tools to make us whole. He has the fragments of your soul that other demons have taken and taken control of because of mistakes that you made in your life. So he can go and call those back and gather those back. You can be sound in your mind. Huh? Huh? Well, some people ought to be glad about it. I mean, you know, some of us are suffering now. You know, because we can't focus on things. It takes us forever to make a decision. We don't know where we're going to wind up ten years from now. We're going to find the one. We're not going to find the one. I mean, come on now. And we think that way. We're uncertain because we don't know the consoler in the way we need to know him to know that that future is assured for you. Because He can make you whole. He is there to make you whole in everything. You know, Christians suffer a lot. Well, you know, i my upbringing, I did have this. Thank God you didn't. There's a lot I didn't have too. Thank God I didn't have it. Who knows if it was good for me or not? What do you know about what's good for you? But we can have everything now. Now is the safest time in your life to have it. Now that you belong to the Lord. It's the best time to have everything that you need in life. You didn't need it back there when you were a sinner. But you need it now. And God is here to restore it to you and make you 100% whole. So that's part of what that word strong consolation means. That's why we don't have any place to go other than God. You know, I see people that sit at home for years. Well, you know, I went to church and they did this and did that. Well, what did you do? Did you sow good seed into that place? Or did you go in there expecting to reap a harvest before you even sowed anything? You understand what I'm saying? And so there are places where people have been deceived into thinking that there's something else out there. And the longer they stay at home, the worse it gets. They start getting that panting. After the things of God. Don't feel right. And then get scared and get paranoid. Well, God told me I better get to church because things ain't going right. Till I. Well, he told you the right thing, Then You're in the right place. Stay this time. huh? But strong consolation, it was what brings people back to the house of God. Maybe not the same place you left, but you go back to God some kind of way. I've known people that stay on the internet writing me little notes back and forth. You know, because they think they can get God, but don't have to humble themselves to a regular, uh, you know, spiritual authority, a house of worship. But they see the strong consolation is what lets them know, you've got to get this God. You've got to find some way to get in touch with him because he is the only one who can help you. Amen. See, if there was a place to go, they'd go there. People, when they're offended, they get on their high horse and they, I'm through with them people and I'm through with their God and all, but they always come back. If they've ever tasted of the heavenly gift, they always make their way back because there's no place else to go. So God's not worried about them. He's not insecure about them getting mad and wanting to go someplace else because he knows what he has to offer. Huh? He knows what he has to offer. I can remember the day when God assured me after struggling in my marriage for many years. He assured me that my husband wasn't going anywhere. I said, God, you mean I don't have to pull nothing out on him no more to make him stay? He said, you pulled out the big gun. That's me. Huh? So I got strong consolation he wasn't going anywhere. You know, people try to mess your mind up with they little halfway out the door. And you know, when you get real strong in God, you know what you want to do? You want to help them pack and get all the way out. Because, honey, if I stay right in Jesus, I do not need you. But you don't go there. The love of God constrains you from going there. Huh? But you know, in your high horse, you want to get up there and say, Be my guest. And put a padlock on that door after the brother get out there. Make sure he don't come back and worry your nerve no more. But God, you got me? How'd I get over there? I got to get back to where it's a strong consolation. huh? But see, that's what strong consolation will do. It'll help you not to be worried about your situation. But also you don't get arrogant and cocky about it in either. You got me? You take it with some humility and you thank God. Well, God, I thank you. I don't have to worry about, you know, him running off and cheating and all that kind of stuff and running back in here and playing games with me. Strong consolation. Huh? Strong consolation. And it's not because you hide his nice clothes from him. Y'all know what I mean. To try to keep him broke and doped up and all that kind of stuff, witchcraft. It's the women that keep their men like that. I'm real sorry to tell you. They let them take drugs. And they take care of them. You understand me? Just so they can keep somebody. See, we don't have to do that. Strong consolation keeps you from having to do that. And when you love them, you don't feel like a doormat. You know how you can do something nice for somebody and they don't do nothing nice for you back real quick and you get mad at yourself for treating them nice. And don't look at me like that. Hey, who does that? You do. <laughs> huh? I ain't talking to the rug. You understand what I'm saying? But see, strong <laughs> consolation keeps you from getting upset when you do kind things for people that you're not getting anything back. Because you do it as unto the Lord. I would do this anyway. If I was buried to Bubba, Cuddin, Cuddin, uh, Cuddin, brother or Babra bro, or his Cuddin too. Whoever I was married to, I would do this. Doesn't matter who you're married to, whether how they treat you and what they do for you back. You do through think this is the way I am. This is who I am. This is what I do. I do this as unto the Lord, huh? That's strong consolation, where you don't feel weak and stupid because you obey God. Or the other thing, you don't resent obeying god and haven't done the right thing yet because you're scared to love somebody because you're scared they won't love you back Amen. strong consolation will keep you from wasting your life being stupid scared of everything scared to sow into somebody's life well i would give that brother a glass of water when he comes to the house but he might think that i'm expecting it all the time <laughs> And you throw away half empty, half drunk bottles of water all the time and won't give that brother his own bottle of water because you scared he's going to spect it all the time. <laughs> Y'all ought to quit. Now, see, I didn't want to go here today. I wanted to have a nice, uplifting, intellectual kind of discourse. Huh? But see, I have i I've learned how to get my strong consolation from God because I'm—I'm I'm telling you, the devil will make you crazy, trying to measure out your love to people and trying to hold back some here and eat it—all that evil stuff. And I know y'all out there, them little witchcraft spirits. I see you got a new—got a new commercial out, girls. <laughs> Uh, I've seen that commercial about the happier than a witch in a broom factory. Oh, yeah, y'all got a new commercial out now. I seen her. Got that guy all scared up, get everybody in the factory all scared up. <laughs> and she's just as happy and they just as nervous. And see, strong consolation to keep you from letting that be your life. <laughs> Keeping everybody all scared up. If you don't have your way, you're gonna tear the place up or something. That's just wrong. Huh? So we have strong consolation, huh? It's a good thing. He says we're in verse seventeen, God more willing more abundantly. See, if you have doubts about God's goodness, he's more abundantly willing to prove to you his word. You know, we've had good faith teaching. We have some overboard. People make you afraid to even talk to God, lest it be unbelief. You understand what I'm saying? You know, all this business of people correcting each other's words and confession comes out of that. You don't, you don't live out of that legalism. You live out of relationship with God. And so God is, is willing more abundantly to convince you that his word is true and he means what he says. And the way we know that is by what he's already done. He's given us an oath on top of a promise. Promise would have been good enough because God, God can never lie. It's impossible for him to lie. But he held, he pinned himself in through the the oath as well. And so to show to the heirs of promise, that's us, he's more willing, more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath. He wants us to know in a very strong way, in other words, that his, his plan for us never changes, his love for us never changes, his word to us never changes, his promise to us never changes. Why would we think it would change? Because of what we do. That's our main problem with anything that God's promised us. We know that we're not capable of perfect obedience all the time. In fact, some of us take sometimes years to get one thing right. But he wants to prove to us that even in our human weakness and our humanity and our failings, he still intends to bless us the way he said he was going to bless us at the beginning before we ever screwed up anything, before we ever failed at anything, before we ever messed anything up, before we ever did anything wrong, he already promised us these things and he convinces us and gives us strong consolation. Why do you continue to pray and hold on to the word? Because of this. There's always that small chance you believe that God still wants to do this for you. You believe that with all of your heart. Your mind may be putting you through some doubt and the devil's batting your brain back and forth in your skull. But you know for a fact there's a little glimmer of hope there that if if somehow you can latch on to God again, he still may renew that promise for you and do that thing for you. And he's insured it already. When you say yes to Jesus, this insurance is already written in. You don't have to work to earn this. You don't have to confess it into existence. It's there. It's there in your salvation package. He says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. He can't change his word and he can't change his life that it's staked on. So it's impossible for him to lie that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. I'm telling you, this will keep your little uh, lukewarm Christian friends from totally giving up on God. You know, some people just barely in there. They don't believe healing. They don't believe, you know, for, you know, for nothing. They just shop around looking for the right church to go to all the time. Crazy people instead of getting settled somewhere and living a good life, they always got this little harlotry thing on them they can't shake. Always shopping around. But at least they're shopping around. Huh? The religious hypocrite come to church and cause all the trouble in the world. They stay in there because of this. Because of the oath and the covenant, they keep coming. And they keep believing and they keep hanging on. That's why the, in Hebrews, let me show it to you. In Hebrews 7, turn there. It's going forward. 7 and verse 19, I think it starts. It says here, for the law made nothing perfect, but bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So this covenant, that word draw nigh, is also the word for consoler. For this, this cause we are consoled by God, or drawing close to him. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but they're talking about the Levitical priesthood versus Jesus. He says, the Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety or a guarantee or the consoler of a better testament. Remember he told the disciples, I'm leaving but I'm sending you another comforter. So Jesus himself is a guarantee of strong consolation. And then in his absence, he sends a Holy Spirit to give us strong consolation as well. So they both have the same properties of being one who can assure us of a better covenant, of better times, that it's not going to stay this way forever. It will get better. That's your assurance. I'm telling you, you can be upset and depressed about something somebody does to you and eventually you will melt. You will. Why? Because you can't fight this. He's got an oath. He staked his life on the fact that the devil cannot hold your heart in animosity, in anger, in resentment, and wanting to rebel, and wanting to divorce, and wanting to all this forever. I've seen it. I've been mad at people, and I say to myself, God, come on now. Leave me alone about this. <laughs> huh? Because you find them in there changing things. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, where you used to get ticked off about something. If they do that to me, I'm just, you know. And then you go and want to find that thing you used to, thought you used to have to be mean. And it's gone. Or you want to be upset about something and you can't be upset because that thing is gone. Well, the comforter took it away from you. He took your binky away from you. Your little pacifier used to suck on when somebody treats you wrong. That's strong consolation. He's going to keep his word. He keeps his word. And he's not worried about you getting so mad he can't live in you and get you to do what he wants you to do either. There are some people who are shocked at themselves what they're able to do for God. In that it took so much change in them for them to be able to do these things, and God's the only one you got to please. And I'm gonna say this for people who want watch other people's behavior to see when they gonna change and be better people, huh? God's the only one you got to please in this, huh? He will leave you stinky sitting next to your neighbor just so your neighbor will know they ain't the boss of you. Well, somebody's happy about it. Y'all ought to be happy about it. Say, what is she talking about? I, I don't know what we, what's going on now. You'll catch on. Just keep paying attention. Just keep holding on. Don't let go of it. But he says here, he's the surety of a better testament. Jesus is your guarantee. The Holy Spirit now is our guarantee in the absence of Jesus. And they truly were many priests because they were not, they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues forever. So you got a high priest with everlasting life in him. This is better than any earthly thing God thought up in the interim. And he says, he's a surety of a better testament, and truly they were many priests. But this man, because he continues forever, ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So he won't change and start uh, wanting things, bad things to happen to you because you've been so bad. Well, you ought to be happy about that. He won't change and start praying that you don't get something because it's going to mess your life up. He won't change. His prayers for you are the same all the time. Not like your little prayer partners. huh? That's why all our prayers are written down to, to get the goofiness out of the equation. As we know, sometimes prayer partners is partners, and sometimes they not. Let me find what I was... Huh? He's got an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. I mean, you can fall almost to the bottom of the pit, and he's right there to catch you. He saves you to the uttermost. Huh? Now nobody likes to be there and nobody likes to get there. But doesn't that give you strong consolation? That is now, now, well shoot, if he gonna go down the pit to get people, that little walking I do, I'm gonna keep walking my little walk right up here cause you know, I know I got something going on. Huh? I'm not hard to find God. Just come on over here where I am right now and help me. He's holy, harmless, and undefiled. That's who your God is. Without blame. There's nothing wrong with Him. You can trust Him. Anybody who does everything right, you want to know somebody like that. And yet He's your friend. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And He sent a helper to help you in life if you will trust and avail yourself of that help. Quit trying to think of everything yourself and do everything yourself and plan everything. You know what? I'm telling you, if, if people would stay out of the condemnation of the devil, they'll quit thinking they have to do it all themselves. And when they do something wrong, there's no remedy for them. That's the only thing that makes Christians miss the help of God. Is because they get so far down the road and they've made so many mistakes. And don't understand that he still will help you because he ever lives to pray for you and make intercession for you. And he's praying that you will drop this nonsense and turn around and let him help you. You're not in this by yourself. I mean, every day he's there for us. Every day. I don't care what you're facing in the day. He is there for you to help you. And you don't have anything to prove to God. He knows you can't do nothing. Huh? What you going to prove to him? Your incompetence and your fear and your weakness and your choice. He knows all that already. And he's forgiven you of it and hopefully will remove it from your life so you don't have to be concerned about it anymore. So you should have strong consolation that you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Everything's passed away. You have no record, no rap sheet, no fingerprints, no... I don't care what you did. Who you did it to, with, or for. It's all forgiven. And you should have strong consolation going forward that there's nothing hindering your going forwardness. See, once you understand your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, because we all got future sins and he knows each and every one of them. You know, I look at some of these ministers, you know, that have great things going on in God. They've written books, preached all over the world, have millions, and then go and do something stupid and it gets all over the papers and... Man, if I was God, I wouldn't have gave him all that stuff. Keep that brother small so he don't embarrass me. You know God knew he was going to embarrass them when he was blessing them and blessed them anyway. How much bigger he is of our failures and our mistakes. He not, he's not scared he won't be God tomorrow because some of his servants mess up. And he's not afraid to bless us and make our names great. The Bible is full of people whose names he made great and they made mistakes. So there's hope for us. So don't you ever hold back on something God tells you to do because you're scared it won't work out. You step out boldly and confidently in faith and do what God told you to do. Let the devil intimidate. Well, suppose you mess up. Suppose I do, devil. Devil. That'll scare you for real because then God will show up and help me and I'll correct it and I won't do it wrong again. But at least I'll be out of the gate. I won't be sitting up in a corral waiting for you to come and tell me when to come out. Can I come out, Mr. Devil, and play or do I have to stay in here? No, you get bold and do what God does and do it fearlessly. And do it loud and in the devil's face. We have strong consolation that God is there to help us in all situations. And if you miss God, he'll turn it back around for you so that he can help you. The man-to-man covenant, I was going to share some a little bit um, about that for you. I'll do the man-to-man and then I'll go to the God-to-man so you can see the difference. In Second Samuel chapter four, this is a story about David and uh, Mephibosheth. That's a mouthful. Say it full time, real fast. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> no. Second Samuel four, in verse four, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. So he was a a small child when Saul and Jonathan were killed. And so them being killed, him being the next in line to be king, he had to go hide. So they had to hide him. And so the nurse took him up and fled and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, you know, lame people didn't have an easy life in, in, you know, in any kind of society, but especially back then. And so, uh, Mephibosheth's other brothers were, were killed as well. And so he's now the only heir of King Saul, whom David, who fought David for years, we know that, and David finally defeated him. So over in 2 Samuel verse 9, we see something uh, that's happening because David now, and, and remember, David and Jonathan, when Jonathan uh, Mephibosheth's father was alive, had made a man-to-man covenant. Remember, they uh, said David loved; they loved one another as their own souls, and so they swore to one another. Remember, uh, Jonathan took off his belt, his armor, and gave it to David. He put a robe on David, all of those stuff, all those things. So he is sharing with David, symbolically, the kingdom. Little did he know that David would be king, but he was willing to make a covenant of strong friendship with him because he wanted this man on his side. There's somebody you value, you make a covenant with them. And so he wanted him on his side. Yeah, that's something else to think about when you get married. If you don't value that person, don't jump the broom. You got me? And have high regard for people to to embrace them, include them in your life. And so he says here, it says, and now um, verse 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So in other words, he had a covenant with Jonathan that went from generation to generation to generation. And God's bugging David to say, "Now you got to keep your word to Jonathan. You promised Jonathan and you stake your life on it that you would take care of anybody remaining in his household." Well, the remainder of the household's running from David because they know that that Saul tried to kill David and David is not there's a different uh, kingdom set up now, different bloodline set up on the throne of Israel. So of course you're going to run from that guy, because your family would have a claim to that throne, and so you're always enemies if there's a counterclaim to that throne. So Mephibosheth don't want to see David. That's why he's hanging out where he is. And there was of the house of Saul, verse two, a servant whose name was Ziba, and they had called him into David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, yeah, I'm your servant. <laughs> in other words, I don't mean you no know harm, what you want. I'll do it for you. And the king said, is there not any yet of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Now, you know, people in power will tell you any kind of lie to get the truth out of you. So this man does not know if David really wants to show him kindness or not. But he knows that if he lies to the king, his life could be on the je- in, in jeopardy. So he must tell the truth. And so he says, "Zeba said to the king, Jonathan has yet a son which is lame in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? Zeba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. A Lodibar is like a, a crack house. So to speak, you know it 's where people go to just hang out for a few days and and just move on. I think Lodi Bar actually was a city of refuge that you could go to if you were running, so there 's criminals there. If you murdered somebody and nobody saw you, you could run to a city of refuge and If you made it there before the Avengers got there, you could stay there. So there's all kind of cutthroats there, there's all kind of escaped criminals, there's all kinds of people living there. But yeah, the heir to the throne that used to be heir to the throne is living there as well. You know, sometimes there can be riches in dark places. There can be wealth in dark places, folks. God says He will reveal to us the hidden treasure of darkness. So here this 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 uh um, Mephibosheth is there he doesn't belong there he's a king's son he's an heir but somebody else is on the throne so he's scared every day and he's lame in his feet he can't help himself Depend upon people sound like anybody I know that was me before God came into my life I know that much I was in low debar huh So he says, And David, King David, sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. It's a good thing to say when you're in the presence of somebody with power. Let your words be few and your respect be very big. David said, Fear not. That's a covenant term, folks. The fear not is a covenant term. In other words, put your weapons down. You don't have to defend yourself. I am coming in peace, not in war. He says, for surely I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. In other words, this is not for something you've done. Isn't that wonderful? God is not rewarding us for something we've done. He's rewarding us for in whom we believe. Huh? So all Mephibosheth has to do is just don't goof it up. Huh? By trying to run or un- Well, he can't run nowhere, so he just got to, you know, roll with it. He says, and I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father. And you will eat bread at my table continually. In other words, you don't have to beg nobody to pick you up. You don't have to beg nobody to feed you. You all, you got to do is crawl up to the table. I mean, I'll get to your wheelchair or whatever's rolling. It's a hover round or whatever is rolling these days, and you can roll yourself up to the table. He said, "But I will take care of you. You will have food and you will have shelter all the days of your life, and you will eat at the king's table. You have what you want to eat, not just anything." And he says, I'll show you kindness for your father's sake. It isn't. This isn't about you. This is bigger than you. This is something I owe to somebody that was a friend of mine and I promised it to you because of my relationship with him which never dies. And he said he bowed himself and said, what is what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? And so he had all of that restored to him. Mephibosheth lived in the palace. As long as David was alive, he was alive. But we have strong consolation because our king lives forever. You know, it's, it's one thing to have a parent. You know, sometimes you have a parent that you can always go to for a favor or a loan or something. But when they die, you're by yourself. We have something much better than that. There was a time when Absalom tried to take the kingdom from David. And everybody had to leave the palace. Mephibosheth said, mmm, it ain't looking good right now, David. But I know as long as you live, I, I, you live, i live. Things can get shaky with that person you're depending on. If it's a human being. But we have an oath and a co- and a promise from Almighty God who lives forever. So our favor with Him will never die. Whatever He promises us will be there for us eternally. This is much better than any man-to-man covenant. And so God has to assure us that he will be with us in these things. Let me turn to Abraham now to show you the difference. So that's a man-to-man covenant. and That's pretty good. Mephibosheth had food and shelter, but it was, only, it was conditional upon David's life. You got me? Because David, even though his children had to follow his covenant, that didn't mean that they would. See, when you depend on man, there's weakness. Because you're depending on weak human flesh to carry out. And I mean, we all love each other and we promise each other things all the time. Well, yeah, I'm going to be there. You know you can trust me. You can come. Well, You know the weather's bad. I can't, you know. You know what I'm talking about. So you're, you, you're only as good as the last promise you kept with somebody. You got me? But, but in, in Christ, we have a stronger consolation because the Holy Spirit is there to reassure us every step of the way that keep going, God meant it. Keep going, God's gonna do it. Keep going, keep believing, keep praying. He's, He's in there for you. He's not gonna quit on this with you. Some people get, you know, when things aren't going right, I wonder if God's forgotten me. Why don't you talk to Him and find out? Amen. Amen. See, you nail your own problem. Amen. We have strong cons, we've got stronger consolation than that. Amen. If things start going, if you, you know, sometimes it can look like a, you know, you just have to stand back from your life and look and wonder, I mean, you know, is it bottom yet, God? You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean that he's not there for you. That's a time when you need to talk to him. You need to quit talking about him and guessing what's wrong and talk to him. Because he has sworn through an oath and a promise that he would take his own. He would cease to exist before he would not do what he's promised you. God cannot lie. All he's waiting is for somebody to really believe him. We got some really believers down here folks. There are some people who are doing big things in God. Why? Because they're over what we get stuck in. They're over the fear. They're over the doubt. They're over the what did I do wrong. They're over questioning why is it taking so long. They're living in strong consolation. And so they're able to, to know and know when they find out what they've done that's separated from them from God. They repent quickly. Problem. You know, people have to pull out 15 toes and 15 fingernails to get you to admit you did something wrong. When all God wants is a confession so he can wipe it off the slate and start you over clean again. Perfect Christians, give me a break. Who needs them? God don't need perfect people. He needs obedient people. There's a difference. Huh? If Pastor Shirley told me to walk, uh, put one foot in front of the other and, and do this, be obedient, oops, I stepped over. No, I'm just being obedient. He, she didn't tell me to be. She said, obey. I'm obeying the best way I can. That's the way we're supposed to live. Who cares if you messed up and stepped off the line, the line you put down there for yourself to obey? I didn't do that. He told you obey. Get up and do what he told you to do. He'll correct your steps as you go. That's strong consolation. He's there with you to help you. He, this is not some test where you get a grade and if you fail, you, you, you know, you flunk out forever. He helps you carry out your end of the covenant. If he didn't, you couldn't do anything right. Huh? Why are we sitting in a stupid penalty box waiting for the other shoe to drop? Drop it on the devil for a change. Get up and do something goofy and stupid and all messed up and watch God bless it and see if the devil don't have a stroke. Because that's what he uses against Christians all the time. He's always trying to get something on us to make us stop going forward in God. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. This is what this reference in Hebrews chapter 6 is speaking of. It's speaking about this situation. Where God could swear by no higher, he swore by himself. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, Abraham is questioning God. Because he's Got the promise from God and he's obeyed, went where God told him to go. Yet he has no children. And so Abraham wants to know what's shaken. Anybody ever been there? You ask God for something, it hasn't happened yet. We want to know what's shaken. And so that's all Abraham did with God. He was honest about it. Some of us try to hide our questioning. But you don't have to, because God knows what you're thinking anyway. You might as well voice it to Him. You might get an answer of peace. Verse 2, Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing as I go childless and the steward of my house? In other words, this guy that's a servant, just like a son to him. Uh, Eliezer of Damascus, he says, is, is you know, what is he, who's, who's gonna be the, the heir? Him? And Abraham said, behold, to me you have given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this shall not be your heir. In other words, I meant what I said. He said, I told you I'd give you children. He said, I'm not talking about him. I, in other words, don't, you don't have to provide a substitute to try to pretend like my word came to pass. Well, I didn't want that no way. You don't have to do that with God. And he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be your heir. He said, But he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. This will be a a child that you you bring forth naturally. He brought him forth abroad and reiterated what he told him because he sees he's losing his grip on his promise. See, it's not a sin of unbelief that you can't recover from because you lose faith sometimes. Anybody ever expressed it to God, he brought him right back to what he told him. No, he, he wants to reassure us, not condemn us for what we can't believe. He says he brought him forth and showed him, look toward heaven, tell the stars if you'll be able to count them from number. He says, that's enough many kids I'm going to give you, Abraham. That's how many descendants you're going to have. It says, and he believed in the Lord. That ever happened to you? You lose your grip on your faith and then all of a sudden you're back in faith again. Why? Because we have strong consolation. We have a consoler on the inside of us to bring us right back to faith again because he sees we losing our grip. Honey, I dare you to live in this world and not lose your grip on something God promised you. The devil works overtime trying to convince you you can't have this and you can't have that and you gotta work hard for this and you gotta oh no you can't have that. And he said that he believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. And God said, I'm the same God that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. Remember I first promised this to you? I'm the same God. And I'm coming back to reiterate the promise. And he says in verse 8 something interesting. He says, Lord. How shall I know I'll inherit this? Now wait a minute. God just told him he would. And he's asking him how shall I know it? So God's word really isn't good enough. Not to reassure you the way it's supposed to. Now stay with me now. We're talking about an oath and a promise. This is why we need the oath. Because the promise ain't good enough. You got me? Just his word is never good enough. What made us say yes to Jesus? We, there was something in the way that God's word hits you that has a kind of impact that you know it's certain and it's not just a wavering word. You know it's not just something to believe in for a temporary period of time. You know you can put your life on the line for this. You know you can leave your life of sin for this. You know you can turn your back on your sinner friends for this because this is worth it. There's something else in God's word that's given to man now that Abraham didn't have, but he began to ask for it. See, we don't have to ask for it. It's already inside of God's word now in the new covenant. But under the old, it wasn't there yet, and Abraham demanded it the way he would have demanded from a man. If he was going to hook up with a man as strong friendship, he'd demand some blood. He'd demand some exchange. He'd demand a covenant sworn in his blood from generation to generation. And he begins to ask the same thing from God. How dare he ask that from God? But if, if a man's willing to do it, God's willing to do so much more. God is willing to do so much more. He can't let mere man outdo him. And so he says... How will I know? He said to me, take me a heifer three years old. Abraham said, that's it. I got it. I got him now. Huh? He knew what that meant when he said, bring me an animal and I'm going to split it open. Abraham knew exactly what that meant. He said, I'm getting ready to get him to sign an oath and swear by his life that he's going to bless me. He's going to bring me children. He's going to do all of these things for me without fail. Because without the oath, the promise was not worth much, even from God, and Abraham knew it. Can you imagine demanding from God? And he did it on our behalf so that now we can walk in the reality of what Abraham was begging for. When somebody would say to you and you promise them, how do I know you're going to do that? That means bring out the blood. Uh, bring out the sacrifice because without that they don't have, they're not going to, This not won't be a handshake and it won't be a done deal. And it won't be an end of strife on the inside and doubt on the inside. See, we never have to doubt God because we have strong cons. You can go to the Holy Spirit inside of you and ask him. Holy Spirit, can you help me? I'm doubting now. See, we ask the wrong thing. What did I do wrong? You don't ask that of the Holy Spirit. Your wrong's been dealt with at the cross. Why would you ask Him what you did wrong when that's already settled that that's not being held against you? You can't correct what you do wrong because you're going to walk out here and do it again if He don't help you do it right the next time. So why are you asking about that? As though you could do something about it for real. You need to ask him to console. I need strong consolation, God. I'm not going to make it this way if you don't give me something. You've got to give me something. And so he did. He said, break out the, the animal. Bring it on, Abraham. you looking for this? I'll give it to you. I'll give you my oath. I'll stake my life against this promise he says take a heifer three years old and so forth and so on he took all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other the birds are divided not and when the fowls came upon the carcasses Abram drove them away that's your only job keep the devil out of your mix that's your only job you don't have to keep begging God for nothing and doubting God and all that just keep the devil out of your mix When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abraham, know of a surety. Here we go. Surely, surely, verity, verily, covenant terms. That your seed shall be a stranger in the land. He begins to prophesy to him what would happen to the nation of Israel. So he's taken him from having his own child to many and telling what's going to happen to the future of them. Now, if that don't seal the deal... And he says, you should go to your, your grave in a great peace and all of this and all of that. And when it came to pass, verse 17, the sun went down, it was dark. A smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces. Now in a man-to-man covenant, the man had to walk through the pieces. Why is it Abram's asleep and he don't have to do his part? Because we don't have to do our part. Jesus energizes us through His life in us and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So He, we can be asleep while the cutting, we don't even participate in this. If man had, if Abraham had walked through those pieces, we'd be stuck in the old covenant because a man would have to perform something in order for that covenant to believe, to be valid. Our part in it is only belief. Jesus said all you have to do for this covenant is to be enforced is believe what I've told you and operate your life in that belief. But as far as you having to work and do works to do your part, that's out of, that's off the table. No works for you. Huh? All you have to do is believe and walk in obedience to my law through the power of the spirit of the consoler that I leave on the inside of you. So this is no human weakness, no human strength. Go to sleep, believer, and let the Spirit of God work through you, through the regeneration of the Word of God inside of you, and you walk out this covenant. So that means that you can't take credit when you do good, and you don't, you're don't. you not at fault when you do bad. Because you're relying on the strength of God who works in you, both to will and to do a good pleasure. So you can be totally asleep in this and not have to work so hard, not have to try so hard, not have to come to church and wonder who's saying what about you and what they think about you. Forget it. It don't count. It's not even in the equation anymore because it's not you working out anything. It's just you listening to God and not mess it up, Mephibosheth. Huh? All you gotta do is sit there with your two lame little feet and don't screw up and say nothing bad about the king while he's listening. Or about anybody else behind their back in authority. Huh? So you just let the word work through you and energize you and lead you and guide you, and you won't have a problem. All this religious stuff that still hangs on believers. My goodness. You can't take credit for it. You wouldn't know how to repeat it if your life depended on it. We have so many faith accidents. You get involved in something and God shows up anyway. You ain't where you need to be, supposed to be, promised to be, and told nobody else you was going to be there. And God showed up anyway and helped you through it and blessed you. Some of you, you know, people have... Jobs and stay on a mean as a rattlesnake, nobody can stand you, your boss hates you, and you still got your job and get promoted. Ever wonder about that? Good gravy. Huh? It's him working through you. You're asleep in this process. God did this while you were... In the world, sinning while you were a sinner, he died for you, and you didn't even know he did anything for you. All you did was came to Jesus at your worst point and had enough sense to say yes to the dress. So he puts him to sleep, shows him, I don't need your help. Abraham I don't need your word I'm doing this on your behalf by me me and my son and the Holy Ghost the three of us together walk through these pieces and we seal the covenant and that's an eternal covenant that goes not just from generation to generation but through all eternity this releases it to the whosoevers because if it's not dependent just on Abraham's bloodline it goes to the whosoevers now. So yes the, the, the his natural seed and the guy who is in his house now can be heirs because no human weakness is involved in it and no human seed natural bloodline inherits it. It goes out to the whole world. It won't stop because it's eternal. This is like this if 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 um, say somebody passes away and they can't find any of their natural children, that money cannot just stay there. I need a can in the government, but as far as God's kingdom is concerned, the the heirs then are dispersed out to whoever will believe. Amen. Does believing depend on who your daddy is, <laughs> who your mama is? You can believe anything you want to. In fact, you can change how you believe any time you want to. Yeah. So then this because God is so big, this none, none of the provisions of this covenant are ever wasted because it's only given to those who believe. So anybody can enter into this covenant. It goes on forever. It's eternal. That's why there are places where there are very few Christians or the Christians that are there, you know, churches close down and, it, and it, it, it dries up in a certain place and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it will spring up over here. Why? Because you can't stop people believing God. Anybody can believe God. So the covenant goes out to whosoever shall believe because it's cut not between a man and God, but through God and God, and it's released on God's terms. And he says, whoever believes in this oath and this promise comes into this covenant with us, and I will be their God and, and they will be my people. And it's a thing by faith. That's why the Jew doesn't have a covenant with God now. He's got remnants of the old, but he's got to come by faith into the new. It just can't come because you're from a nation of people anymore. It has to come by faith. And so that's why we're entered into it, by faith. As we talk about it, we release faith to people and they're able to believe. So then over in Abraham, let's keep with Abraham for a minute in chapter 22. I think that's where I really want to... And uh, Isaac is born now. Okay, let me be endured. Receive the promise. Oh, hang on, let me see where I am. I think it's maybe... Go back to Hebrews 6 again. Maybe that's where I want to be. Hebrews 6 in verse 15 maybe. Okay, yeah it is. Okay, so it says, And so, after he had patiently endured. That's where you pick up Abraham's story. The covenant was made to him by God. And the Bible says, after he patiently endured, he received the promise. Patiently endured, he received the promise. Why is that necessary? Is it because God doesn't want you to have too much too fast? Some things do come to people pretty quickly compared to others. But the Bible says here... So after he had patiently endured, he received the promise. Now between the time that we just saw Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, you know Ishmael was born. So Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, but in his impatience, he tried to get in the flesh and work this out by the flesh and not allow God to bring it into his life. He and his wife agreed that they were going to do this this way. So impatience in God's promise will always bring you something other than what God promised you. Now it might have some elements of satisfaction to it but there's always the lingering thought if i had just waited for god what might happen see with abraham it could be corrected and with us and many times it can but then there's always this misgiving about why because we live in the reality of what God can do supernaturally. We have a much better covenant that's got better promises than what he had. So, for a natural man, impatience is very important. I tell people all the time, get your flesh out of it. See, when God made promise to you through the new covenant, it's made through your new spirit man, which if we would let him live, he show you what life is really all about. But see, many times we get impatient And that causes us to put flesh into the equation, and we pull something out that's not what God promised, and almost immediately after we receive it, we know it. Huh? Whose eyes has he got? Whose nose has he got? Who does this baby look like? He don't, you understand what I'm saying? So there's something about the, the flesh bringing something into your life when your spirit's reborn. Your reborn spirit evaluates it and judges it as not being adequate in God. Your spirit man knows it immediately. It ain't right. Cause I don't feel it on the inside of me. So it says, after he patiently endured. Endured what? Saying no to his flesh. Saying stand with the discipline. Stand out of this. Stand out of that. Stand with God. Walking with God. And after you patiently endure, you receive the promise. Now, why do we have to wait until we patiently endure? What are we enduring? When you impatiently endure, it's necessary... To let false promises run their course. You ever had an idea about what you would do to get this out of the way so you wouldn't have to keep praying and believing about this? You know? That's why you got to patiently endure. And you can do it because you have strong consolation. You can only do it because you have an oath on top of that promise. You can only do it because you have reassurance. If you walk with God even a little bit, you have reassurance that the way he tells you your life is supposed to be, it'll run like that. Even though it seems too fantastic and too good to be true, you know somewhere deep down inside of you, I can do this. I can wait. I can put this off. I don't have to do that. Huh? So you patiently endure to let the false stuff run its course. And many people will bring false things in their life and let them exit and come to the place where they receive from God and say, now this is what I was looking for. That other thing that came, and I, that, that wasn't right, and I know it wasn't right. This is the right thing now, Baby. Because I know God brought it, that, <clears throat> that other stuff. I was thinking I should do this and I can get it faster. And if I can do this, I'll get it faster. If I do this, I don't have to look at them people at church wondering when it's going to happen for me. If I can do this, I can, uh, huh? But you have strong consolation that if you will hold on even for a little bit and get that out of your face that you're trying to make work and it ain't right. If you can walk away from it, honey, Ishmael was 12 and there came a day that man had to put that baby out of his house. Because the promise came in. What do you think is, 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 is better, more humane, so to speak, having a kid there that you really don't love? Because you know God didn't promise it to you. Having the real thing sitting there, you love more than anything. And having that kid feel rejected because you love the real one the best. Huh? That's the way God feels about us. We're the real thing. He loves us the best. You got me? That person we used to be is an Ishmael sitting over in the corner that can't get no love from God and can't inherit the promises from God. Only this one right here is the real thing and can inherit the promises. And your heart knows the difference. See, if you were trying to try to make something happen, that is, is you're promising God, you're wasting your time. You go come back full circle. To where you are right now and realize you know what I should have stayed with my prayer my original prayer if I stay with my original prayer I'll have what God promised me and I'll be content in it and it will be a blessing to me much better than going out and trying to make something happen and make it right because I'm I'm telling myself I deserve it I deserve something I got to have something see flesh will do that. That's why we have to patiently endure. Endure what? The false promises tempting us. Maybe we step into the false promises for a season and then we realize they're not right. You ever have somebody you really thought you were supposed to marry? I know most of y'all don't, but, you know, this happens to people sometimes. And they even get married to that person. And you know God will bring somebody later in life and they look at that person and they know in them that's the one. But they can't have it because they're married to somebody that their flesh craved. That's why I tell young people, get out of each other's face, get out of each other's bed, get out of each other's drawers, get out of each other's pocketbooks, get out of each other's everything, because you'll never see who God has for you if your flesh is dining on something forbidden fruit. That's all you'll ever see is what's forbidden. That's why a lot of people aren't married. They could be married right now. They're always looking in the flesh at something forbidden. Huh? You've got to patiently endure it. And you can do it because you have an oath and a promise. you got more than a little something, something. you got an oath and a promise. And that ought to give you strong consolation. That's how a lot of these people, uh, what's his name? Carlton Pearson was 40 before he got married. But he was able to endure. He said and there were many times there were young ladies coming in that church and people would try to introduce me and, and it was pressure on. Yes. But he was 40 years old before he knew inside of him yes. that this was the time and the person for him. And he was able to make the commitment in full assurance of faith. Why? Because he had strong consolation. Even when you say no to your flesh, you're consoled and you're strengthened by the fact that God has the real thing for you. He has something better for you. He has something that will work better for you, something more to your liking as far as your spirit is concerned. Sometimes the great things that God has planned for us depend upon hooking up with the right person. You'll short your whole career, your whole life, everything that you're invested in, every gift you have. You sacrifice that because you don't patiently endure and you can do it. The crime of it is we have every equipment and every ability to endure and stand and withstand. But we don't do it. Because we're too inclined to give in to the pressures of the flesh. You let the flesh pressure you too much. So that you can't receive. You don't, you run out of, well, I just, you know, it was time. It wasn't time. It's time when God says it's time. He don't care. you getting gray in the hair and long in the tooth and all that other stuff. He don't care about that. And he proved it already. He gave the strongest promise to the oldest man and woman he could find in the Bible who would obey him. Just to show us impatient people. huh? I'm telling you, if you'll step out a little bit and understand what God has done for us. He's done it for all of us. From the smallest promise he gives you, paying a gas bill, to the biggest thing. Whatever that is. Whatever your biggie is. It's different for everybody. But you can have strong consolation because you fled from refuge from your flesh and from the world and from the things your flesh craves. You're a refugee from that life. And now you should have strong consolation about God, what God wants to do with you now. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you for blessing us. To know you in covenant, Lord. And we have strong consolation, Father. When we have to say no to the flesh, we're strong in knowing we're doing the right thing. That life isn't passing us by. Because surely you have the better life for us that's on promise. The better thing is the promise. And we thank you, Lord, that what you promised us we know we can receive and we can have it. and We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up.